if if every truck is has to stop and and charge at some point, you know, obviously you've got to have a charger pretty much at every parking spot across the country, and there's already a parking shortage. So if you have to sit and charge for five hours, four or five hours, depending, that parking shortage is only going to look a whole lot worse. And um, you know, Atri kind of gets at that a little bit in this report. What you heard there was that of Overdrive News Editor Matt Cole picking up on a fairly new report from ATRI, or ATRI, that's the American Transportation Research Institute, with a report out now that picked up on parking challenges themes. It's called Charging Infrastructure Challenges for the U.S. Electric Vehicle Fleet. It poses something of a counterfactual on the way toward throwing some more cold hard reality on top of the big political and PR push toward vehicle electrification. If the entirety of the U.S. vehicle fleet, from our heavy tractor trailers on down to passenger cars, were to suddenly be transitioned to all electric, what level of electric power generation would it take? What sorts of new materials would be required to make all those batteries? What fundamentally would the implications be for truckers' operational realities, including the hours of service and all that parking, and the infrastructure needs to support them? I'm Todd Dills. Your host for this edition of the Overdrive Radio Podcast for January 13th, 2023, lucky Friday the 13th as it were, where we'll drop into and out of variously two conversations. One that Matt Cole had with Etri Vice President Jeff Short about the three big challenge areas the report digs into, attempting to quantify the needs and to sort of cut through the hype around battery electric vehicles. As it sits today, the challenges are huge, no doubt particularly when it comes to the estimated power needs of freight hauling truck tractors, which alone would use the equivalent of a full 10% of all electricity generated in the entire nation today if suddenly running battery electric. Atri's report is focused squarely on that battery electric technology, mind you, but in the second conversation you'll hear parts of today, between myself and Cole, other alternative power technologies with some promise also reared their heads, those I know owner-operators have decidedly more interest in given possibilities of onboard power generation with hydrogen fuel cell or other technologies. Seemingly key for long-haul feasibility, not the kind of wholesale outfitting of every parking space in the nation with an EV hookup that Cole noted at the top. While a close look at battery electric vehicles might seem like a bit of a snoozer given the miles range available today on a single charge isn't close to meeting the daily demands of most owner-operators, there's a value in the realities this report exposes in my view. Holds too. The research they do is valuable to the industry as a whole, and I think it's um, you know it's good to get that perspective out there. You know, the people making the decisions will see this kind of thing, and whether it makes an impact or not, I don't know. On the other side of a break for this word from Overdrive Radio sponsor House, we'll jump right into more of the potential bedrock value. Likewise, the meat of the estimates Atri's made and what it all could mean for the future of diesel and electric trucking power generation. When you have a diesel emergency, you don't have time to wait around for 911. Instead, call your lifeline. How's Diesel Lifeline? The only emergency rescue product to reliquify gel fuel and de-ice frozen fuel filters without the use of harmful alcohol. Always safe to use, you can pour it directly into your fuel filters without wasting time mixing it with additional diesel fuel. So this winter, if you find yourself stuck in a bind, skip the tow. 
Get yourself back on the road fast with Howe's Diesel Lifeline. For more information, visit Howe'sProducts.com. That's Howe's. H-O-W-E-S. Howe'sProducts.com. I think I think the val- there's value in this report uh, in that it just puts a, a lot of kind of hard reality behind um, behind what's otherwise been just a lot of kind of electric vehicle boosterism that we've seen for the past couple of years now, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I, I think and that's in line with uh, all the work that they've done this past year on. Uh, uh, electric vehicle situation in general as it relates to transportation. I wonder if you kind of set us up, Matt, and kind of give us a uh, a little bit of background on on this report and uh, where it sits in relation to uh, the other work that Atri's done that we we actually did feature on this podcast as well back, uh, I believe, in the summer or maybe it was the spring of this past year. Yeah, so basically um, this report that was released in early December is kind of the second of two big reports that actually conducted looking at electric vehicles, uh, particularly trucks. The report was released. I spoke with uh, Jeff Short. He's a vice president with Atri. You know, he talked about, you know, the the different aspects of the report. Um, The first one was released in May and it looked at the full life cycle emissions of a battery electric truck from production or from from the mining of the materials to the production of the truck through the use of the truck and then to recycling the batteries and all that and compared that to today's um you know diesel internal combustion engine and it also looked at uh, other power options like hydrogen uh fuel cell the voice you'll hear next is that of atri vice president jeff short our research advisory committee uh, they saw last year that truck electrification was an increasingly important topic. Enough so that two EV-related research studies were selected as top priorities. The first study, which came out in May, looked at vehicle CO2 emissions comparing an electric truck with a traditional truck and found only a 30% decrease in CO2 could be realized across a long-haul vehicle's life cycle. That, that includes building the battery, that includes um of course running the vehicle for a million miles and so on and so forth so it was only a 30 percent decrease that that was really looking at the truck itself the report that this report that was released in december um looks at the electric infrastructure challenges um both the electric grid itself you know mining the the challenges of, of mining the materials needed to create enough batteries to transition not only the truck fleet but the um, you know the U.S.'s vehicle fleet as a whole from right. from fossil fuels to electric. The goal of this more recent research was to assess the infrastructure requirements of of the trucking industry and of electrification of the truck industry. In quantifying those requirements, we ultimately offered insight into the near-term feasibility of truck electrification. There's a lot of information out there regarding what will and will not work for trucking. And what we did was find quantifiable answers to many of the questions that have been floating around for years. Challenge area number one, electricity demand and production. Uh, The first challenge is generation of electricity, of course. For trucking, energy must be reliable, affordable, and available. The price must be predictable and not widely fluctuate throughout the day. Uh, With all that said, EVs are going to put 
enormous amount of demand on utilities, which could be problematic. I was looking at the power demands chart when it comes to the truck type that's in uh, in this report, and it's it's pretty amazing, like the the volume or the the sheer uh, uh, kilowatt hours of power that. Uh, that are estimated to be required by the you know the the folks that we're talking about here right. uh in our audience uh, the truck tractor combinations that's a lot of power yeah to fully transition i mean that's just focusing on trucks and the trucks were like 14 percent more power uh would need to be generated compared to today's and then yeah, and in tractor trailers is the lion's share of that by a long shot. Like yeah. you know, over over like just you know, your heavy duty straight trucks and medium duty and light duty trucks. God, I mean I think it's like I'm just doing back of the envelope calculation here, but it's probably uh three times the amount of power of all three of those groups put together. As many of you've heard, uh we found that US electricity infrastructure is on the older side. It's often exposed to events that cause outages, uh, they could be weather events, man-made events like we had uh, in, in the past week. Our, our conversation was just a couple of days after there was a uh, an attack on two electrical substations in North Carolina. And, you know, that incident just kind of showed the, uh, I guess, the fragility of the uh, of the power grid, um, you know, how, how easily it can be uh, impacted by pretty much anything i mean weather or a man-made issue like that one it's pretty interesting timing at the same time demand for electricity is going to explode uh, with full full electrification our calculations indicate that electric vehicle electricity demand itself for all vehicles in the u.s will equal 40 percent of what is produced today if we were to replace the entire u.s vehicle fleet instantly instantly we will have 40 percent uh more consumption which means we need to make more energy. How is that attainable? Obviously, there's, um, you know, we got to generate it from somewhere. What are the options there? Well, for trucking specifically, utilities will need to, across the country, will need to uh, produce more than uh, 500 billion kilowatt hours annually. Uh, that, for trucking alone, is 14% of the electric, uh, electricity generation. Long haul trucks, they will require about 10% of today's electricity. That's because trucks are heavier. They rack up large uh, mileage figures each year. A car might get 10,000 miles a year. Trucks may be in the range of 100,000 or more each year. So what, what can be done? Ultimately, that lies with the utilities. The trucking industry doesn't make electricity. That um, they, they are the experts in getting that much energy out there. We just want to be sure that that it's clear how much these trucks are are going to demand as well as the cars challenge area number two the vast increase in materials needed to produce an unprecedented number of physical batteries uh, a second challenge is the materials needed to make the actual electric truck in particular to make the batteries uh, we look at the supply and demand of critical materials that included cobalt lithium graphite nickel found that a staggering amount of material is needed just for the U.S. fleet. That's the trucking fleet and for cars as well. And there's global demand to contend with as, as well as that. 
trucking needs tons of battery materials, millions of tons of battery materials, like lithium, like cobalt. These materials need to be explored for, they need to be mined, they need to be processed, manufactured into a working lithium ion battery. All of that takes time. Uh, there is pollution associated, especially with the mining side uh, and final processing of the mine materials. Uh, these are tasks that take place all over the world. China, for instance, produces three quarters of the world's finished lithium ion batteries. Uh, it sources, China sources those raw materials, however, from very specific places in Africa, Australia, South America. Ultimately, due to the, uh, the lack of diversity in sources, supplies of batteries are vulnerable. Uh, price fluctuations are definitely a concern as a result of that. It's important to understand that battery electric trucks are two or three times the cost of a traditional truck. And the majority of that cost is for the battery. And trucking is not the only one who's going to be, who's going to be uh, demanding these batteries. Cars in the U.S. will place a huge demand on these materials as well. And then there's global demand, as I mentioned earlier. Any disruption in the supply chain can increase prices. We found that a given truck will, will need more than 300 pounds of lithium. What happens if the price per pound doubles or triples? It did this year. Uh, what happens if that continues? The, the battery cost will rise. And, and that's ultimately more capital uh, that a trucking company is going to need to plunge into equipment costs. In terms of the big kind of need for materials that go into making uh, making batteries that are you know kind of capable of 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 holding and then you know being tapped uh, for the kind of power that is needed to to move a truck and for truck owners you know it's it that that challenge kind of manifests itself most directly in in sort of the projected cost of this stuff because it's it's very expensive at present, of course. You know, there's a huge premium over traditional equipment. Uh, you know, I've seen lots of different estimates, but uh, you know, we're talking right now. You know, at least twice the cost of a, of a diesel truck in in most cases. But you know, there is a sort of an expectation of declining costs. I think for uh, you know new technologies of the future. Or, you know, is that something that the report um, addressed at all? I touched on it briefly. Um, you know, basically they said, um, you know, after some uh, capital investments into mining operations themselves, um, kind of result in some optimization of, of mining. Just general economic theory suggests that economies of scale would, would end up reducing battery costs at some point. But at the same time, that's probably not going to happen until raw material supplies are meeting future demand and um that's not going to happen until there's more bevs on the road and um, right. so the short answer is yeah prices will go down but probably not soon enough for it to make an impact on uh, most owner operators out there i know part of the study talked about you know sourcing those materials and um how it's not really tapped into in the united states so much um i think you, i think you mentioned there's some co was it cobalt mines that are in Minnesota? Um, uh, nickel, nickel, nickel mines in Minnesota. Uh, maybe, maybe cobalt. Uh, there, there are some options in the United States for attaining uh, obtaining some of these uh, materials domestically. 
the ultimate question is how much do we have? How much are we going to be able to um, mine ultimately? And beyond that, are, are there going to be barriers? It, it may take, because of the regulations in the United States, it may take a little longer. There may be some pushback, uh, perhaps from environmental groups, on large-scale mining operations because there is a lot of pollution in it. Um, it, it, it does do damage uh, to the earth, especially uh, places where they're, they're going to go in and it hasn't been mined yet. And certainly it's going to uh, change the environment where the mining operation is, is placed. And a short, short kind of, I mean, you kind of brought this up when you were talking to him, I think um, the, the sort of catch 22 that, you know, the, the sort of environmental boosters of, of vehicle electrification find themselves in given that uh, so much of of this kind of battery electric anyway uh, requires this huge reintroduction uh, and or you know new operations of uh, mining operations in the United States itself it, it would seem that would be kind of the, the simplest way to to get at uh, a lot of these materials for you know if, if we're if we're going to if we're going to be building these things in the U.S. and you know not uh, relying entirely on uh, foreign sources for these things, cobalt, nickel, uh, you know, lithium, and everything, you know, and it, to get it at it in such large quantities, um, you know, does does Atri kind of explicitly or even or even implicitly, I guess, uh, recommend anything to kind of overcome? You know, the barriers that exist today to 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 mining these materials i know this it's just like a as a, there's a reason that you know these operations don't pop up here right it, it, it's uh it's not exactly easy to do uh there's a lot of challenge to them in local communities those kinds of things it's more expensive to to do those operations here in the u.s and um you know obviously there's the the challenges from from the environmental aspect as well um you really didn't have any recommendations for how to get around those. Um, basically, they came to the conclusion that, you know, as more mining is required, you know, there might be advances in mining production. But really, battery technology itself is where the biggest gains are going to have to be made. Um, you know, they said batteries need to become lighter and more energy dense and um, maybe even be produced with different kinds of materials. Um, they didn't say that there are there is research ongoing into um, those areas but as of right now you know their their batteries are produced with certain materials and they did say there's there's one active lithium mine uh, that's in nevada uh, but it only accounts for about one percent of the global finished product <laughs> right minnesota has a bunch of potential mines particularly for nickel and cobalt but to hard start a whole new mining operation uh, that would be that scale uh, probably not going to happen. Finally, where the rubber meets the road, with challenge area number three, the operational realities of long-haul trucking. Uh, a third challenge lies with long-haul truck charging. As you know, there's already a huge problem in the U.S. With, with the truck parking shortage. It is perennially identified by drivers as a top concern through our annual Top Industry Issues Survey. So finding a truck parking space is often difficult finding Finding a truck parking space with a charger is going to be an entirely different ballgame. 
How do the hours of service and, and the truck parking issues specifically uh, relate to the charging issues? They are completely, they are completely intertwined. Um, when you find yourself behind the wheel of an electric truck, you realize it's now essential to find a truck parking space that has access to charging. There's no longer the option of parking on an off-ramp or an unauthorized location if a truck parking location is at capacity. So once the driver finds the space uh, to take his or her hours of service and charge and gain hours of service, they have to stay there. Uh, the driver is still going to have to get consecutive rest time. So it may take, let's say it takes three, four hours of charging. They're still going to have to stay there for the rest period. So they're not going to be moving the truck so that someone else can access it. Uh, this ultimately exacerbates the, the truck parking crisis. Uh, there's no way around it. Based on the research, uh, based on the research, it's clear that each of the 313,000 truck parking locations in the U.S. will need a charger. The problem is there's currently not enough parking and putting chargers at all of those locations won't even be enough charging. Ultimately, we will need more parking and more parking that has electricity access, uh, more than the 313. And not to, not to mention the fact that you cannot have a commercial enterprise charging, for instance, at a public rest area. We mentioned that in the report and go into those details. Currently, you're not allowed to do that. So that's at least 40,000 truck parking spaces that have a regulatory barrier to getting a, a, a charger at them. Yeah, so I know um, in one part of the report, you looked at a, um, you know, a rural rest area in, te in West Texas um, and looking at the truck traffic coming in and out, how long trucks were at those spaces at, at any given time. Um, you know, can you kind of talk about what you found there, especially with it being uh, a rural area and not, um, you know, mm -hmm. a more high traffic area like, you know, just for staying in Texas, for example, you know, around Houston, um, which is obviously one of the busier cities in the country. Yeah. So certainly at a rural location like that, truck parking, truck charging at those locations will necessitate new production electricity and the electricity will have to move across power lines, tran transmission lines, distribution lines to places where large quantities of electricity have never gone before, like, like the case study we looked at. So in the report, we look at a rural truck stop and based on current parking data, that, that relatively small tr truck parking spot it has about 67 spaces, uh, roughly 30 on each side of of this interstate highway, um, that location would need more than the electric electricity equivalent of more than 5,000 U.S. households each day, just to power what we found to be 126 trucks each day. Uh, that's a lot of power they're going to have to bring out to that location just to charge 126 trucks, 5,000 households worth of power. Uh, Bringing that amount of electricity to a remote parking location is certainly an expensive proposition, considering none of the infrastructure is there. Yeah, and obviously, you know, with long haul trucking, um, you know, not everybody's stopping in a in a major metro area every night. So that is correct. Well, um, you know, kind of expanding that out to uh, the entirety of the U.S., um, you know, based on your research, how much 
charging infrastructure, how much electricity capacity does the U.S. need to, um, you know, to move the trucking fleet to electric? And, you know, based on what you found, is that even feasible? Certainly anything is feasible. If the dollars are there, this certainly could be feasible. Uh, but the, the infrastructure needs are enormous. Again, 40% more electricity will be consumed. Feasibility ultimately comes down to funding, like I said, and technology. Technological advances may be possible. It could decrease the battery material needs, increase efficiency of the vehicle, uh, decrease the weight of the battery. Uh, these sort of advances would be very critical, but there's no guarantee that they will happen. Folks are working on them. Uh, we all we we all want a better battery for cars and trucks, but it's something that takes time and and remains to be seen if it's possible. But technology would alleviate some of the pressures associated with these issues. But ultimately, the industry. You know, my final message here is the industry is not in the driver's seat on many of these challenges. Uh, though there are discussions of phasing out diesel trucks, requiring the purchase of zero emission trucks, the trucking industry does not produce electricity. We don't produce trucks. We don't produce chargers. Uh, we're the end user of these products. And ultimately, utilities, industry suppliers, OEMs, and truck stop operators are going to be the ones who, who need to provide feasible truck electrification options, a system that works for the industry. So it, it, it's a big effort and involves a lot of stakeholders, not just truck. This report was was specifically uh, uh, engineered to look at uh, the requirements of battery electric vehicle technology, right? And, you know, the talk kind of ended on a point that that uh, short made about truckers being kind of in a sense at the mercy of these you know potential technology advances here um which might reduce material needs and costs and and uh you know utilities truck stop operators public parking authorities uh, at the mercy of them making you know, any kind of big advances in electrification trucking going fully electric is is going to depend on all these all these other things you know there's there it seems it feels as if you know you come out at the end of this thing and it's like well what are we what are we going to do about this we, we can't you know but uh but at the same time i know what a lot of owner operators have been you know, really interested in when it comes to kind of electric drive and other alternative fuel vehicles is the you know the possibility of kind of onboard power generation like what you get with a diesel uh a tank of diesel now but with something that is, is entirely different um you know whether whether that's hydrogen or, or or something else uh and we you know we've seen some some really interesting developments this past year uh, did the report at all address kind of possibilities in those areas if you can do that if you could do the onboard power generation it would seem to be you know that would yield like a, a, a more of a status quo uh, with regard to the for instance the parking issue the closest thing this report got to onboard charging was um, the HU went into several different strategies for potentially resolving charging issues. Um, and, and the closest one to onboard was a um, embedded roadway charging hmm. where trucks would have a receiver on the undercarriage. And then, uh, you know, you'd have to redo pretty much every highway mile out there with um, 
you know, with that ability to charge, uh, you know, have charging in the roadways. Um, The first report Atri did last year, though, did talk about hydrogen fuel cell trucks that, uh, you know, harness solar or, um, or wind, I believe it was yet to power, to power the the trucks. And they found that that would be the cleanest, you know, the cleanest fuel option in the future. Obviously we're not there yet technology wise, but yeah, this report, uh, this latest report didn't really get into, uh, into onboard charging too much. Anything else in the in the report overall that you saw that you you think um, uh, bears mentioning for uh, you know the owner operators that are in our audience? You know the biggest thing to me was just the the sheer amount of electricity that would be required you know to to transition the U.S. fleet to to electric. Um, you know some states would have to produce as much as sixty three percent more power than they do today, and that's um, you know like like Jeff said in in the interview. Anything is feasible if there's enough money behind it, but you have to you have to find that money somewhere. Uh, you know, there's still a long way to go in terms of battery technology and uh, and other areas before uh, you know before we see a full transition. And I me mean, personally, I don't know that it's it's something that we'll ever see uh, for for battery battery electric. Uh, you know, I, th- I think diesel will eventually go the way of the dinosaur, so to speak. But uh, I don't think battery electric is is going to be the answer personally and that's a wrap a big thanks to cole and atris jeff short for their time to you for hanging through to the end find a link to the full report and show notes for this podcast and in the post that houses it overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio navigate to the january 13th 2023 edition Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with the acoustic guitar and other support of trucker songwriter and Overdrive contributor Long Haul Paul Marhofer. The theme is Legend of the Snake Man by Marhofer, featuring the guitar work of Travis, the snake man himself, Wemmick, Terry Two Socks Richardson on bass, keys by Tishomingo Jim Whitehead, and on drums, Andrew Marshall. Podcast is backed up further by Overdrive's own news editor, Matt Cole, featured in today's edition, of course. Social media coordinator, Holly Young, executive editor, Alex Lockie, and video editors, Lawson Rudisel and Mr. Andrew Gwynn. Big thanks again to Overdrive Radio sponsor, Howes. You can find them at Howes, that's H-O-W-E-S, houseproducts.com. Until next time, keep it pro out there.